Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 110th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is the importance of legal writing, an interview with WordRake creator Gary Kinder. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsors. Answer One is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-THE-NUMBER-1 or online at www.answerthenumber1.com. That's www.answerthenumber1.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases, and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com slash podcast. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. We are very pleased to have as our guest Gary Kinder, a lawyer, writing expert for the American Bar Association, who has taught over 1,000 writing programs. He's a New York Times bestselling author, creator of WordRake editing software, a dad, and an all-around good guy. Thanks for joining us today, Gary. (laughs) Oh, I like that introduction, Jim. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this for a couple weeks now. Well, we're excited to be talking to you, Gary, and and of course, we both know you and have had some great conversations in the past. As a point of curiosity on my part, when did you first decide to teach other lawyers how to improve their writing? Oh, gosh, Sharon, I don't know if I actually decided to do that. It it just kind of happened. Uh, I had been uh, living in Idaho and decided I didn't want to practice law, but I wanted to be a writer and I'd written a couple of books and a bunch of magazine articles, but as this uh, so often happens with people, I had two babies at home who had to be educated and fed and clothed, and I needed another job. And so I uh, moved my family from Idaho over to Seattle, and my idea was to become an in-house editor. Uh, I just assumed that um, that all big law firms especially would have in-house editing people because One of the ironies I discovered is that uh, when I write a book, I send it to my publisher in New York and uh, my agent usually looks at it. And then my my uh, personal editor goes over it uh, at the publishing house. We go over every single page and look at pacing and all kind grammar, all kinds of things. And then after that, they have a copy editor come through and he or she will put five or six, seven, eight stickies on every page of an 800 page manuscript, but I've got to address every single one of those questions and concerns. And when the whole thing is over, if we're really lucky, everybody splits, um, oh, uh, maybe a million dollars. That's the publisher and the agent and the editors and the writer. 
And yet, ironically, a lawyer writes a brief and there might be tens of millions, hundreds, billions of dollars actually writing on this case and nobody looks at it. So I just assumed that uh, they would be dying to have uh, qualified editors to help them. But when I went to the big firm here in Seattle, uh, they didn't want somebody editing their work. However, one of the practice group heads said, why don't you come in here and teach us how to do what you do? This is in 1988. So I created a writing seminar uh, for this firm here in Seattle, Perkins Coie, and I've been teaching to lawyers across the country ever since. That's very interesting. While teaching lawyers, what did you learn about writing from them? Uh, Jim, I, you know, it's, it's, you've probably been in this situation before, too. Anytime you teach something, you learn a lot more than the students do. Again, I had, uh, when I first started teaching, I had already published two uh, books back in New York and a lot of magazine pieces, and I had analyzed writing. Uh, but as I'm getting deeper, now I have to teach other people how to do some of these things. Uh, I really started to learn a lot more about it. And one of the things that I noticed, and we can talk about this a little later too, is I started seeing patterns. Uh, patterns not only in, in lawyers' writing, but in all writing. These are things you could identify and, uh, and very quickly teach someone else how to spot these things that, that they could do to improve uh, their own writing. But it made me get deeper and deeper into understanding what I did as a writer to uh, make it clean and clear and concise and also how to persuade people. What is it I do that helps other people understand what I, my, my position and moves them to act in a way that I would like them to act? And as I analyzed all these things, I would come up with just little short phrases that would convey these kinds of things to my audience, which is primarily lawyers. Well, I think that a lot of lawyers don't necessarily believe that writing is terribly important, and that seems to be especially true of the millennials. So how do you answer the question, Gary, why is writing so important for lawyers? It occurred to me, Sharon, not too long ago that if you think of a lawyer in a law firm as being uh, like a manufacturer, and they have one product and only one product that they manufacture every day, and that is ideas conveyed in writing. That's all we do all day long is convey ideas in writing. Uh, and we convey those ideas to the courts, uh, to opponents, to the public, uh, to people within our own firm. And people very quickly, uh, when they join law firms, I'm lawyers mainly, gain a, a reputation uh, as being a really fine writer a passable writer or uh, a lawyer who's got some problems with writing. And believe me, I do a lot of private tutorials. And it's that 50-year associate in litigation who has great speaking skills, great uh, personal skills, depositions, gets along well with clients, but can't get it down on paper. And it becomes an issue. Uh, they let it go about that long, assuming the associate's going to improve and the associate doesn't. So it's now keeping this associate from becoming a partner. And also, when we deal with nothing but words, we're trying to get a judge to believe us and see the logic in our reasoning. That writing's got to be really clean and clear and concise. And it's like a, a federal judge. He's deceased now, but he was arguably the most respected judge on, in the Northwest on the federal bench at the time. Uh, I asked him uh, one day that, that same question, why is it so important that lawyers write well? Can't you see through 
they're they're muddling around uh, if they do and see the the balances there that need to take place in your head to decide for one side or another. And he had a very succinct response. He said, if you really do right well, you win more cases. So that's especially important for uh, for litigators. We have contract, uh, transactional people drafting contracts. If that writing isn't clean and clear and concise, and I don't need to tell you about some of the contract language, but you end up in all kinds of problems that lead to litigation later. And you can, the cynical among us can say, well, that's just rainmaking for the litigation people. But as you know, the clients aren't happy about that. Uh, and it just creates all kinds of problems. So the more clearly and concisely we can communicate, uh, the better it is for everybody. And that affects our own personal reputation among the lawyers and the courts with, uh, with whom we work and write for Gary, I've noticed sometimes that lawyers feel like we can all write just like we can all read, but how important really is, is good writing for the image of the law firm? Writing, uh, as, as I mentioned, I'll fall back on this, Jim, on this idea that law firms uh, have one product, and that is ideas conveyed in writing. And if you attach that kind of importance to it, that every single thing that they do really goes into, into some form of writing, and the firm will gain a reputation. There are, I've talked to them many times, there are judges uh, who need even clerks after just a few months on the bench, they'll get a, uh, a brief from a certain law firm and they will know it's going to be contentious, it's going to be overblown, it's going to be hyperbolic. They're going to have to check on all the citations and make sure that they've coded things properly. And they're, they're prepared. Once they see that law firm at the bottom of the page, they're going to be tougher on them. And then you have the opposite. You have, my gosh, the lawyers who work for this firm, and it could be a boutique firm, it could be a giant firm, or an individual for that matter, a solo, uh, they have a reputation. And it doesn't hurt uh, the outcome of the case, the possibility of your prevailing for your client. If a, a judge or a clerk looks at, at your name on the bottom or that firm on the bottom and automatically assumes this is going to be well-researched, well-thought-out, and especially well-written, that makes my job easier. That makes me a happy person. I'm already leaning favorably toward that law firm, that writer. Well, that's very interesting. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Not getting enough cases from the internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter AnswerOne Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. AnswerOne is available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-1 or visit them 
at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the importance of legal writing, an interview with word rake creator Gary Kinder. So let's see, where should we go next? I can't even imagine how many problems lawyers have with their writing, but what are, what are the very biggest ones, the ones you see the most often, Gary? Oh, you're, you're right. Where do we begin on this one, Shannon? You've written about this uh, concerning recent law graduates. Sure enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I devoured that article. <laughs> there are levels of problems. I think some of it is in the uh, thinking. I think that some lawyers assume that they have to be super aggressive. And the more they try to batter the other side with words, the more successful they're going to be. And I, this, this has always surprised me because if you put a robe on and you sit on the bench and you read the brief that you just wrote, you wouldn't like people talking to you like that. And I don't know why that doesn't transfer to lawyers writing those briefs. Is it, What's it going to be like if I were reading this? I've taught writing programs for the judges of the Ninth Circuit. I've talked to them over dinner and, and lunches and just kind of chatted with them. And they know this style immediately. And they can even predict which lawyers, which firms are going to be writing in this style. So it starts at, at kind of a higher level there. And how do we approach this whole, this whole idea of writing? Uh, and I'm, I'm talking mainly right now uh, about litigators. But, you know, then the ethics get involved in it and that, that sort of – when I was teaching, I had an all-day course I would, on, on just litigation, brief writing. And one of the things that I tried to drive home was the ethical part of this. And the more ethical you are, the more you approach this in um, not, not a bland way at, at all, but as being – trying to be or appear objective. We know you're not, but trying to be objective – Admit that once in a while, that I think one of the best tactics a litigator can have is to admit that his client isn't perfect. Then suddenly everybody believes everything else you're going to say. So I encourage lawyers to do that in their briefs and all of their correspondence. Remember, all that stuff can be discovered later. So you don't want to go down one of those rabbit holes uh, in some kind of asinine argument with some lawyer who's being difficult. And if they're not that good at practicing law, they're going to try to drag you down one of those holes. The other uh, big problem that lawyers have with their writing, and this is the one that the uh, public just uh, rails about, and rightly so, is it's just so difficult to understand what they're saying. And a lawyer often will sit back and respond to that complaint. Well, you know, if you'd gone to law school, you would understand why we have to word things a certain way. And that is really not an excuse. Uh, If a lawyer is really good, she will be able to express herself clearly and concisely so that everybody can understand If there are a few legal terms in there, just like medical terms that I wouldn't understand, inner alien, that kind of stuff, uh, which I wouldn't put in a brief anyhow. That's understandable and that's okay, uh, but the rest of it's got to be clear and concise. The memo's going out. Even even people that work for a law firm, we have marketing people, we have HR people, we have administrators. All these people need to be writing clearly and concisely to make everything more efficient. I sometimes use as an example, it's uh, two paragraphs that open a memorandum. And, you know, it's the real thing. I, I pulled these in and we edit them. Uh, these two paragraphs, and we see how much better they could be. But one day I was teaching to a group, and there was a a partner 
uh, in their section. In fact, there were several partners, but one of the partners raised his hand and he said, you know, this reads like a first year associate who's unsure of herself. And I was chagrined that I hadn't seen that earlier and expressed it that way, because when we put all this stuff into our writing, the vis-a-vis type phrases and a lot of overblown ways of expressing ourselves, all we're doing is showing that we're insecure, that we really don't believe in what we're saying. When we go through and edit those two paragraphs and we're saying exactly what you want to say and make it clear and concise, and we cut out about two-thirds of it, it just sounds confident in this person. We trust this, this person, and it's only getting rid of the extra words there. Um, so that's that's the uh, the main thing. Uh, it's it's the ethics uh, and and especially in litigation, just trying to be objective, trying to help the judge. You have to look at it that way, and then getting all this garbage out of our writing that just isn't necessary. Harkening back to the beginning of your career, why don't law firms have in-house editors? Yeah, I was surprised to learn that that they didn't, as I said earlier, Jim. But I I think that that is uh, there there are probably three reasons for that. Every time I do this, I'll say there are three reasons and I'll forget the third one. But I think there are three reasons. One is everybody expects lawyers to know how to write. My gosh, they, they've been to four years of college and three years of law school. Why wouldn't they know how to write? You have to be a decent writer into law school. Certainly, you're an even better writer coming out. Um, and as Sharon knows, uh, having researched this a little bit as I have, that just isn't the case. They're, they're not necessarily good writers just because they're lawyers. And sometimes, the bright students will end up learning very quickly how to, quote, write like a lawyer, which is the basis of the uh, problem. So you have to unteach them a lot of those things. But I think that they're expected to write well. So why would you need an editor? Number two, it's really difficult to find people qualified to do this job because you would have to have someone who's an excellent grammarian uh, who's an excellent writer, and writing really well is a lot more than just understanding grammar and producing a sentence. And then the third one is, uh, and someone who has a law degree also, I think that that also is important. You could have levels that would be of editing that would be handled by people who are not uh, lawyers, uh, but you should definitely have, uh, as your main editor, editors, people who are also lawyers. But once you have that person who's a grammarian and a lawyer and a great writer, how much are you going to pay these people? Uh, to get somebody to have those kinds of skills, I would think, command a fair amount of money. You're dealing with cases that involve billions of dollars sometimes. Uh, they would be worth every nickel. But then how do you cost this out? How do you get your clients to pay for an editor when they think that all lawyers already know how to write really well? So I think that those are the three main reasons that they don't have editors, and yet none of those is a is a valid excuse. Well, I'll move back to uh, the article that you mentioned, because we wrote a long time ago, John uh, Simic and I did, why can't law school graduates write? And that's still a question that I, I researched it, I looked at it. I've seen some of the most dreadful writing in my entire life. Some of it looks like it was written by a sixth grader. So why can't these graduates write, Gary? <laughs> well, there are several reasons for, for this one, too. As you're aware, Sharon, you can go through law school and pass the bar exam without ever writing a complete sentence. You are mainly tested on recognizing issues and then dealing with those issues appropriately. Uh, you can write in sentence fragments. Uh, I know a lot of people do that on the bar exams, and they do that in their, in their courses. 
you do have to take a course called legal writing, and in that one, you probably have to write a sentence. But that that is is part of it. And also, every law school has legal writing programs. Some of them have uh, two semesters, legal writing one, legal writing two. Uh, some have more advanced programs. You can take appellate writing. But often these instructors, and it's very rare that they, and this is changing slightly, but it's very rare that the people who teach legal writing are considered professors, uh, which they should be. This is the one thing all lawyers are going to be doing later, uh, not just pigeonholing into administrative law or something to do with some aspect of business, which are the different uh, courses that, that we take in law school. But further, when the, the legal writing instructors often are teaching, like, you know, if you take legal writing one, legal writing two, they're teaching you what a memorandum looks like. What is the tone of a legal memorandum? And what is, how do you introduce that legal memorandum? And rarely do the instructors actually teach writing and grammar and looking for typos. I see a lot of lawyers don't see typos. And when you write a uh, something for a client or a senior partner or a judge and it's got typos in it, you're just broadcasting. I don't care about what I'm writing about. And that reader thinks, why should I care about it if she doesn't care about it? So again, it's hard to find people who really understand writing and understand the law uh, and have the time to sit down in one of those courses and actually tackle writing. I taught a summer program to a big firm in Atlanta. Uh, this has been many years ago. When I finished the program, this young woman came up to me and she said, I, I go to Harvard and I'm one of the legal writing instructors there. And she said, we have nothing like this in our legal writing program. Would you come teach us, uh, the teachers there, the legal writing instructors, some of the things that, that you taught here? And the very next day, for the same firm, I went to their D.C. office and another young woman came up and she said, I'm the president of the Moot Court board and we have nothing like this at uh, University of Virginia. And uh, would you come teach us how to do some of these things? We don't get this in law school. Um, and I don't think that that's gotten any better since then. Uh, it's the writing aspect of it that it seems to be falling through the cracks. It's here's the format. Here's what it's supposed to look like. Here's the approach you take. Here are the different parts of a brief, but not drilling down on writing and making the writing come alive. Well, I have to share with you that I did pretty well in law school because I was a journalism undergraduate major and English minor, and it really helped on those final exams. I've told several people went to go to law school to take writing classes. So you're preaching to the choir here. Briefly, how did you come up with the idea for editing software for lawyers? I had been teaching, uh, Jim, for a few years. You know, I had slides and everybody, This I even had slides before there was PowerPoint. But I, I would have examples, you know, we want to get rid of unnecessary words. And I would have examples that come out of real briefs or memoranda. And I would say, look, we can get rid of these words and see how much better the sentence is without these words. And I remember one day, the previous three examples I had had up on the slides, and the words that we got rid of had an of, the word of, O-F, right in the middle of it. And I remarked about that, I, and I started getting curious about that. I said, well, maybe we just look for the word of. And then I started seeing ofs everywhere. And the classic example for lawyers is the terms of the contract state. Well, we don't need both of those. We have the terms and the contract. We can say the term state or the contract states. We don't need the terms of the contract. 
state. So I started uh, just, I would just, when I was editing people and lawyers, I would look for the word of. And this is in all writing, by the way, everything, all of this I'm talking about really is in all writing, not just for lawyers. And then maybe a year or two later, I, I noticed that an inordinate number of junk phrases, like in fact, in this case, in the context of, all began with a little preposition in. And I thought, gosh, there, there are two signs that I can look for. And over the years, I developed uh, about a dozen of these signs that will point out the main problems that people might be, be having with their overwriting words that they could get, get rid of. And then a few years went by, and one day I realized that I had not seen any more of these signs. I had a finite set of about a dozen signs, and I wondered, could I get a patent on these signs? And uh, if I could get a patent, could we create algorithms uh, using these signs as gateways into writing uh, that would help people, help the software, help the people find these unnecessary words? Because if you can get rid of the unnecessary words, then the words that are necessary now can convey meaning. It's like going back to the 60s and 70s. If you remember, there was this, I know you two aren't old enough, but there were this, these... Uh, <laughs> Yes, we are. <laughs> this this phrase that, that you heard in all the sit-ins and the marches and the protests, uh, if you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. There's no middle ground. It's the same way with these words. Either a word is conveying meaning for you or it's getting in the way of the words that are trying to convey the meaning. And if you can remove those words that are unnecessary, now when a reader reads just as fast as he's capable of reading through what you've written, because all the, the words there have to be in there, you've captured that reader. And now that reader understands, uh, more likely understands what you're, you're talking about. So uh, that's how I came up with the idea for the software. And I filed a patent on this back in 2002. And it was granted, I don't know how this happens. It was granted on Christmas Day of 2007. <laughs> That that was that was Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was Santa Claus. It absolutely was Santa Claus, and, and those guys were working overtime. But uh, we've got six patents uh, since then. Now we now have seven total patents on this idea of being able to, you know, detect patterns with algorithms that will help uh, lawyers and others uh, spot unnecessary words. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take another quick commercial break. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and the rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the importance of legal writing, an interview with WordRake creator Gary Kinder. Gary, here's your shot. Let us know how your product, WordRake, improves the lawyer's writing, and please tell us the cost of the software, where listeners can find it, and how they can even get a free trial for a week. Well, of course, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you for the um, entree, Jim. WordRake, I was just alluding to some of the things uh, we do, but WordRake is, first of all, it, I, I insisted that I know it's software, I know it's a program, 
but I wanted it to look as much like a lawyer, uh, lawyer being edited by a live editor with a red pen as we could make it. And that's what we have. It will cross out words that it thinks you don't need uh, or dull words that help you get rid of something that we call nominalizations. Most lawyers have never even heard that word, but that's part of what makes our writing so dull sometimes is writing with uh, with nouns that could be verbs. Well, word rake will recognize a lot of those and brighten your writing, get rid of the, the, the clutter around them. And this, you know, as a little side point, this is really helps client relationships if they know that you have productivity software like WordRake, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of Casey Flaherty, who uh, invented the, what's called the Legal Tech Audit. Uh, and he advises his clients. He was in-house at uh, one of the big car, car manufacturers. I think it was Kia Motors. And he tells his clients today, if they cannot prove to you, if your outside counsel cannot prove to you that they are being uh, efficient uh, with your money, uh, then don't don't pay the bill. And one of the, the productivity software programs he specifically suggests they get is WordRake. Uh, it just makes things go faster. Uh, it operates in the, in, in the quiet of your office. And you can imagine being a first-year associate, you're, even though you were the editor or president, I guess they call it, the Harvard Law Review, this is all new to you. You're actually practicing law now. And no matter what kind of uh, facade you put on, you're still nervous, but you have word rake and you write something. And in seconds, it'll ripple through pages and pages and pages of whatever you've written. Just push one button and it ripples through uh, and suggest these edits. And before you ever show it to anybody, it, it's like, you know, what happens in WordRake stays in WordRake. No one else is going to see this. <laughs> and so you have that. It just builds your, your confidence to know that uh, you've got a second set of uh, professional eyes to take a look at it. And WordRake never gets tired. It, you know, it doesn't eat that much. It just sits there and waits for you to, uh, to uh, turn it on when you need it. So it's there 24-7. And... It uh, WordRake costs, uh, it's $129 for a year subscription. That's for WordRake for Word. We also have WordRake for Outlook for your emails, and that's also $129 for a year. And that comes out to $0.35 cents a day. And if you uh, get the enterprise version, it drops to sometimes half that uh, for some of the larger law firms. Um, if you get a bundle of the two together, it's $199. And uh, you can go, we have a special landing page just for Digital Edge listeners. Uh, you can go to uh, wordrate.com slash the digital edge and sign up for a free seven-day trial. So wait, you got a big memorandum, something going on with a client, you got a brief to write. Uh, try that seven-day free trial. You don't have to even give us a credit card. And if you decide to purchase Wordrake, uh, you can use a coupon code and that code is the Digital Edge, the program you're listening to. And you'll get a special 10% discount uh, for all of uh, your listeners, Jim and Sharon. And, uh, of course, wordrake.com. Right now we are rebuilding our website, but there still is something there for you to look at. I think that is probably everything that I want to discuss about Wordrake. I, I look at one last point about this. I look at Wordrake as being a collaboration no software program will ever replace a truly talented editor. Uh, however, no editor can keep in his or her head 
all of the things that we can program into WordRake. I won't even go into the algorithms that lead us to be able to make a huge number of, of edits. But this idea of collaboration, often, uh, you know, WordRake's going to make an edit. You're going to hit the accept button. You're totally in control. You'll see the next edit, accept, 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 accept. And then you like the word Indeed. WordRake uh, thinks you should get rid of Indeed most of the time. So uh, they're going to, uh, you, you know, a, a, some uh, people are going to reject that edit and keep Indeed. But uh, WordRake's going to be accurate uh, 90 to 95% of the time. And often, this is something I, I, that we found that people report back to us. They'll say, you know, WordRake suggested this little change over here in this sentence. And when I looked at it, I thought, that's not quite right. That's going to change the meaning of my sentence. But I see what WordRake was trying to do, and I can do it even better. And that's where this collaboration comes in. It sees things that, you know, that lawyer would never have gone to that sentence to try to make it better if WordRake hadn't pointed out there's something going on over here we need to take a little closer look at. So You know, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, as I think you know, Gary, I have been an English major, a journalist, and the author of a co-author of 15 books for the ABA. Uh, I have a pretty good reputation for being able to write. And I have used WordRake, and I am always amazed at the number of things it spots to tighten up my language and make it better. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm a real fan of what it can do. So we really want to thank you for being our guest today. I think people understand a lot more about the product. I would definitely recommend that what you do is take that seven-day trial because nothing's going to persuade you as much as that. And you apply it to something you did before that you've already submitted somewhere, whether it's an article or a brief, and you put WordRake on it, and you're going to go, holy moly, I wish I had said that differently, and you're going to see the value of the product. So I like it a lot and um, yeah, have no problem recommending it. And I know entire cities have licensed WordRake, so a lot of people believe in it. So I thank you, Gary, for sharing, because although there is a product in this program, obviously, most of it was about the writing and the value of writing the kind of mistakes lawyers make typically in their writing. Um, so we had a good bit of substantive content, which I think leads people to think about how can I write better because writing better makes me a better lawyer and makes me more persuasive. So again, thanks very much for joining us. Sure, thank you. Thank you also, Jim. It's great talking with you. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.